Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. We're going to talk about the issue of offense because this is a very offensive world and in a very and we live in a very offensive time and I think it's important for us to understand how we posture our hearts and how it is that we react how it is that we deal with offenses when they come because we all get sinned against and we all have issues that we face and that we deal with as we as we interact with other people and we're going to find that this is going to be an extremely helpful conversation for me it has been transformational i believe the same will be true for you and i want to start this talk first by talking about cultivating a pure heart now i've not shared this before just so you know this is not a regurgitation of something that i've already talked about uh, just want to share one topic per day so cultivating a pure heart let's go ahead and pray as we open God's word together. Father, we do thank you today for your word. And we thank you that, Lord, you have an answer for the problems that we face, the difficulties that we face all the time. And we pray today, God, that you would help us to, as we interact with people, not to just simply react to the situations of life or the offensive things that might be said or done around us. We pray, God, that what that what we have inside of us would be stronger. We thank you that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Thank you, Lord, that inside you are strengthening us, fortifying us with grace so that we can live a life that looks more like Jesus. And I pray that's that's what would transpire as a result of us talking about this, is that we would be stronger internally than we were before because your truth renews our minds. And so we thank you for that today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you're just joining us, we are talking about dealing with offense. Part one today, this message is talking about cultivating a pure heart. And uh, if you're interested in my notes, I'd be glad to send them to you. I just jotted out a few things. But Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8 is the primary verse or primary text that I'm going to use. And that is in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'll share that with you in just a little bit. But as we look at the issue of dealing with offense, we first have to understand that the posture that we have is vital and it's important. It's actually the most important because far before we ever get into a conversation or somebody sins against us, before that ever happens, what I've noticed is that the posture of our heart is actually the most important piece because it's how we respond to someone that that shows how we see things, how our mind thinks about things, how we perceive, how we react. That actually is the test of our spirituality. Offenses are going to come. Luke chapter 17 and verse 1, Jesus said that stumbling blocks or offenses are inevitable. Okay, we need to just lock that in. You're going to get sinned against. I'm going to get sinned against. Things are going to happen. I've been in a lot of conversations about forgiveness. I've heard an incredible amount of teaching, read a lot of books when it comes to forgiveness, but I've always felt like there was something lacking. I've always felt like the lacking conversation when it comes to forgiveness and bitterness is our own hearts. And what I mean by that is you always want to think about prevention, right? So before you get into the water and, and you have to survive, you want to learn how to swim, right? So when you think about having the posture of your heart set properly, 
that really is a conversation that we have to have before we ever talk about forgiveness. Why? Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. Okay, so if somebody sins against me and they say something to me that is offensive or whatever, what comes out of my mouth is an overflow from what's in my heart. That means that wherever I'm at currently has a lot to do with how I respond to the present realities in my life. And if my heart isn't positioned in a way that looks more and more like Jesus, then you can bet, and so can I, that the way that I act and react and interact with people is going to be based on what's going on in here. And Jesus actually talked about that a ton. And so I've always felt like maybe it is that we have to forgive people in our lives a whole lot more because of the way that we perceive offenses to begin with. What if there was a place for you and I not to be perfect, but to pursue something in God that before we ever get offended, that we have just a lighter heart? Why? Because we're more like Jesus. And so things don't offend us as easily. Now, here's the thing. If you're easily offended, that does not mean, I'm not suggesting for a second that there won't be real offenses. But I feel like sometimes we actually turn a lot of things that happen into highly offensive and sinful things done against us when maybe they're not that way at all, but our filter is the, the water of our filter is muddy. And so we can't really discern or the, the issues that we're facing properly. We can't really perceive uh, our perception is off. And I think it's important to have the conversation. Now we have to look at Jesus, right? He's the example. I always say he's not just the payment for our sins, but he's the pattern for our life. We cannot pursue something um, in God that we don't see in Christ. Jesus was not easily offended. Jesus was not a person that just reacted in the flesh. You can't see that in him whatsoever. You see that he was in, he lived in peace. He lived in perfect peace. He responded. He didn't just react. He wasn't compulsive. And so we want to find in the scripture what we see in, in Jesus is how we want to be in as we live life ourselves. When I was reading Mark chapter 14 one time, I had a revelation. I've actually shared this part before, and I want to share it with you. But I was reading this passage, and it showed me something about the heart of Jesus that I've wanted to pursue ever since I've seen it. And you know this story in Mark chapter 14, verse 17. This is after the uh, Last Supper. Or during the Last Supper, it says, When it was evening, he came with the twelve, or he came with to the twelve, as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be grieved and to say to him one by one, Surely it's not me. And he said to them, It is the one of the it is the one of you who dips with me in the bowl. And then the Bible says that he dips his bread into the bowl, and Judas does at the same time. And so this is this really interesting moment at the Last Supper. Jesus is in his final minute, minutes before he's going to be betrayed, final hours here. And so he, he lives with the knowledge, think about this, of his betrayer. Jesus knew for three years that Judas was going to betray him. He always knew. And so here it is that he's walking out life with the twelve, one of them being Judas Iscariot, knows Judas is going to betray him. He puts Judas in charge of the money changer. He's got the money. So here's this greedy guy that sells out Jesus. He's the one that's in charge of the, the money box that they have as traveling preachers and teachers. This is just such an interesting thing that at the very last moment, Jesus reveals there's a betrayer among them. The disciples were grieved 
and they say to each other, it's not me. What that means is nobody knew who was going to betray Jesus. Now that means for three years, Jesus knowing who was going to do this, he never gave it away. He never made a comment. He never treated Judas differently. He knew it was Judas, but he never treated Judas differently. What does that mean? It means that Jesus loved Judas. Jesus's heart was so full of rescue that he was not, he didn't live with this perpetual offense of what Judas was going to do up until the last point of when he did it. I mean, it's amazing that Jesus had even embraced Judas when Judas finally did actually betray him. When I read that passage, knowing that if I had the knowledge Jesus had at the Last Supper, if I said that there's a betrayer among you, I know that everyone would have known that it was Judas because of the way that I would have lived. And I realized in that moment when I was reading this passage that I just don't have the heart of Jesus the way that Jesus has called me to have it. And I believe the same could be true for all of us, that to want an unoffendable heart, to understand how to deal with offense in our lives, we first have to see the pure heart of Jesus and pursue the pure heart of Jesus. That sets us up in this posture, in this position to not carry offenses and not be predisposed towards being offendable or easily offended in the life that we live. There's so much to get offended at. There's so many things that get said. It sets us up to automatically be sensitive to being an offended people. But God wants us to pursue a pure heart. And that's so important for each one of us. His way of life must be our pursuit. And that starts with having a transformed heart. That's the posture that we want to have before we ever face how do we deal with these things. We deal with them first by having his heart. Now, Jesus is concerned about the condition of our hearts, and he wants us to have pure hearts. Look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. This is the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus obviously goes straight at the heart. He says this in verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, we know that Jesus was talking to a Jewish audience, a first century Jewish audience, and there's no doubt that they had a specific perspective when it comes to purity. When Jesus says the pure in heart, they have purity rituals, especially the Pharisees, which was the dominant religious group of that time. And they actually controlled the synagogue, and Jesus was most likely pointing towards them when he was saying some of the things that he was saying throughout the Gospels. When they heard him say, pure in heart. They were thinking about their purity rituals and how they observed them in order to live this flawless life in their own religious identity. They thought of themselves as pure and externally speaking, but Jesus wasn't necessarily referencing any of that. He was talking about what's on the inside, and that's what he was getting at. He was drawing a contrast between the purity that they were thinking about And even the disciples had seen in the Pharisees as an example. And really, he was shifting their focus to what he actually meant, that there's something about having this inward purity that only comes from God. You'll notice many of the passages in the Sermon on the Mount. That's exactly what Jesus was talking about. He's contrasting this external code that they were adhering to and really not doing that very well, even though they supposed they were and they sought to 
make others believe that they were. Even they themselves believed that. But that wasn't really the case. And so Jesus contrasted this. Everybody kind of knew the hypocrisy that was real, but he really exposed it. And he talked about this purity of, of, of the heart. And here's what he says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27 as he continues on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone looks who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's talking about sin starts in the heart. Matthew 6, 19, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store for, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves uh, neither break in nor steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? So what's inside is what this affects what's going on outside. This is, this is an important teaching. Now, he also says things like this, Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, he's talking to the Pharisees again. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks of that which fills the heart. He's talking about the heart here, he continues to say these kinds of things, and it's so important. What happens on the outside comes from what's on the inside, okay? And he says again, I'll just give you one, one more passage, Matthew 5, or 15, verse 7. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. And this is a quotation from the book of Isaiah. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. We look back on Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The word pure here means clean, clear, innocent, without mixture, unadulterated. That's what he's talking about. Blessed are the unadulterated, the pure in heart, those that are without mixture on the inside. When he talks about the heart, he's talking about the core of a person, not obviously the physical heart, uh, but this is the vital organ that gives the blood flow to the rest of the body. So metaphorically, he's talking about the centrality of who we are, that internal world is the heart, the center of who we are. And so what does Jesus mean by blessed are the pure in heart? I believe what he means is hypocrisy and free from motivated corruption. This is where a person presents themselves as they are in the process of becoming all that God intends. Here's, here's what we're talking about. Psalm 24, 3, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? But he and stand in his holy place, but him who has clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands are the things that we do. The pure heart is the meditation of our mind, the centrality of who are who we are. This is the thoughts, the attitude, the intentions of who we are. This equals this. What comes out of us is first what's in us. And so listen, if we're going to deal with offense, if we're going to rightly understand and perceive things that are happening in our lives, things that are said to us, done to us, there is no way that we're going to ever process those things properly if our hearts are not in the right place. And Jesus is concerned about the condition of our heart. And he says the pure in heart will see God. Why? What, is this, what does it mean? Blessed are the pure in heart. Those that are without hypocrisy and mixture, they're going to see God. What, what does that mean? Well, this is what I believe it means. I believe that it means that those who are without mixture, those who have this 
place that God's talking, Jesus is talking about, I believe they're going to look for God. They have this purity about them that their eyes, what they see, what they gaze upon, what they look at, how they perceive what they're looking at. Think your, your eyes are the gateway to your soul, the interpretation of, of all external life. It happens through your eyes. Your eyes play this vital role in you and I being able to interpret everything happening on the outside of us. We see somebody's body language. We see someone, uh, we see the person, we can size them up, basically. We're able to interpret so much of life based on what we see. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Not just one day, but we shall see the Lord before we see other people. There's something about the interpretation of what goes on on the outside because of what's going on on the inside. That's what I believe that Jesus is actually talking about. And when it comes to the conversation about offense, the reason that I've talked about possessing the heart of Christ, the reason I've talked about possessing an unoffendable heart is because it all starts here. And a lot of times we give all these principles, and this is what you want to do and have a light heart and overlook offense. And all those things are really important, but none of them will ever happen if we don't First, pursue the heart of Christ in our lives. We cannot have a clean life, clean hands and a pure heart without pursuing something in God that he alone can do inside of us. Then when we come into this place of experiencing great offenses or sin against us or maybe perceived sin, then we will properly process things as Jesus would because he's our, our ultimate example as 1 Peter chapter 2 says very clearly. Well, how do we do that? How do we pursue or cultivate a pure heart before God so that we're positioned properly to interpret and also deal with offenses? The first thing we want to look at is obtaining a pure heart. When Jesus shared this teaching, he was referencing salvation, and he understood what he meant, but they certainly didn't. He's referencing the promise of the new covenant. Promise of the new covenant, really we see written in Ezekiel, we see it in Jeremiah. We see Jesus talking about it at the Last Supper. Then he obviously goes to the cross. He dies and he rises again. And he's already told us that this would enact the new covenant between the Father and the Son, that Jesus lived a sinless life. He was the, sin, he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And those who believe upon Jesus will not just have a better life, but they'll have a new life. That means that he gives us a brand new heart. Okay, and this is really important that we can't just pursue a better life or a better heart or a better way or better responses. We actually need a brand new heart, not a better heart, a brand new heart. And we get that because of what Jesus did. This is the new covenant. The old covenant was based on the law, which was the external code that could not be lived out in sincerity and truth by anyone. Now they tried. Jesus contrasted the law when he's talking during the Sermon on the Mount, and he's referencing that. Now, the law is good, but no human being could live the law perfectly. Only Jesus Christ, both God and man, he was fully God and he was fully human, right? That's the great mystery of Jesus' incarnation. But he lived the law perfectly, and he gave us that contrast that he had the perfect heart. He had a pure heart. And for us to have a pure heart, we have to enter into, by faith, the new covenant, which means that Jesus's blood cleanses us from all of our sin. We're born again. We receive the Holy Spirit. And now we can live the life that we could never live before. We could do 
what we could never do before. And here's the honest truth. Sometimes I wonder, and this isn't for me to judge, but it is certainly for me to be cautious and wonder about. I wonder if a lot of people, the reason that they cannot behave differently is because of what they believe. You're not saved by how you behave. You are saved by what you believe. Now, we believe that Jesus died and Jesus rose again for the forgiveness of our sins. But we also believe that the Holy Spirit then comes to live inside of us and gives us a new heart. And from that day forward, we enter into what's called sanctification. Now, yes, we have a new nature, but we're not necessarily living by that new nature. We can still live by our old nature. There is coming a day where we're going to receive a new body and we're going to be in a glorified state. The old will be totally passed away. But in this life, we have to reckon ourselves dead to sin and to alive to God in Christ as we read through Romans chapter 5 through verse 8 or chapter 8. Those chapters are vital for us understanding that Jesus dealt with the condition of our sin, forgave us for the actions of our sins, gave us a new nature. And by that new nature, we can actually overcome the flesh. But that's a daily struggle. And part of overcoming the flesh is just simply pursuing the heart of God. The only reason we can do that is because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We have a brand new heart. And we're learning how to live out of the new nature, out of the new heart that God has given us through the Holy Spirit. And so the way we obtain a pure heart is only one way and it's only through Jesus Christ, and it's by the Holy Spirit that we can have this very thing that I'm talking about. There's no other way to just get a little bit better. I'm not talking about behavior modification. How is that working for you? You and I cannot behave a little bit better. It's what we believe. This is all about a renewed mind. So you and I both, we have to, we have to be right where we are today, and we have to just confess that we're not going to get a little bit better. We got to get a lot deader. You understand what I'm saying? We've got to die to the flesh so that we can live by the spirit. That's what this is about. When we're born again, we actually can live the way that God calls us to live. So when Jesus talks about having a new heart, he's certainly talking about salvation. Let me just read to you Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What we could not do in adhering to the law, Christ did on our behalf so we can be pure in heart. That's something he did for us. We have to believe that. That's not about how we behave first. It's about what we believe. And it starts there and it stays there. We continue to renew our minds to what Jesus has done for us, to the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Therefore, it's not up to us. It's up to us trusting Christ, depending upon Christ, walking in Christ, abiding in Christ. That is about the new covenant. We will not live new. And I'm concerned that the reason that we're not able to live new is because we are not new. You understand? I mean, there are a lot of people who are religious but unsaved. And it's not about somebody being better than another person. There's no religious pecking order. That's what the Pharisees established. And they did that by the external code. They did that by saying who's better or who's worse. 
That's not what we're doing. What we're saying is, is that the only way that we can actually have purity in our lives, the only way that we can ever get to the place of dealing with offenses properly is because our hearts are being renewed by God day by day because of what he's already done for us. And this is about having our minds continually renewed and baptized in the understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us and what Jesus paid a price for. This is his vision for our lives. If we have a lesser vision or we don't have a vision, we need to capture that vision today. That vision is what Christ has for us. When Jesus taught all of these principles, he had in mind what he was going to do on our behalf. We've got to lay hold of that. We've got to realize we can because of what Jesus did. When we realize that, then we will pursue and go after what God has for us in our lives. But not until then. Until then, we will try harder or we just won't try at all. If you have not given your heart to Jesus, or maybe you're questioning where you're at with Jesus, ask Jesus, ask him right now to give you a new heart. Yield and surrender your life to Jesus Christ, that he died and he rose again to forgive you and to forgive me for our sins. When we surrender our lives, not just ask for forgiveness for our past, but we surrender our lives, our future to him. He gives us what we could never get for ourselves. We are not good people. We are not okay people. All of us are like sheep and we have strayed from the path. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were created for more, and it looks like Christ. Until we really get that into our hearts, we're not going to get a little bit better. We're just not. We're going to get better at avoiding people. We're going to get better at shutting things down. But this is all about having sensitive hearts. If you do not have a sensitive heart, let me ask you the question. Do you know Jesus? If you do, then you need to ask for a renewing of your mind. If your heart is hardened, you need to ask for a renewing of your mind. God will do that. Now, how do we maintain a pure heart? If we're saved, if we're set apart because of the blood of Jesus, we're walking in him, what do we do now? Well, we maintain a pure heart by guarding our heart, right? Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, watch over. Another translation says, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Our life flows out of what's on the inside of us. So while we've been given a new heart by Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, we still have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life seeking to take us down old pathways to destroy us and to render us ineffective in the kingdom of God. This is why offenses become our greatest enemy, because they really appeal to the flesh. Offenses appeal to the old nature that's not dead. It wants to live. It wants to justify itself. It wants to be number one. It's about self and selfish ways. And unless we are constantly maintaining and dealing with that selfishness, discarding it, dying to that, reckoning ourselves alive to God in Christ, we will just sit back passively and we will become bitter. That's what will happen to us. You know, you don't end up, you don't become bitter overnight. It's kind of like falling off a cliff. You had to walk up that hill. You understand what I'm saying? You can't, you don't, nobody just falls off a cliff. They walked all the way up that hill and then they fell off a cliff. That's how that works. You understand? They climb all the way up and they fall down. There was effort that went into that. There was a period of time, right? There was something that goes into that entire experience. It just doesn't happen overnight. And so for us, 
We've got to understand that the world system, the enemy and the flesh have set itself against us to render us ineffective. God has called us to be kingdom gospel advocates in this life, that we're not just saved to sit, but we're saved for a purpose. And purpose goes before us. This is why we are absolutely against the enemy of our soul is not just these three things, but it's what they employ. It's these weapons of offense. One thing can actually send us off in a trajectory to be completely ineffective in our Christian life. I have found that one of the greatest weapons that the enemy uses in our lives is this issue of being offended. When somebody sins against us, all of a sudden that person has more power over us than the voice of God. Now I want you to think about that because when we become Christians, we have a new heart and Jesus is Lord. His word is that manual for our life. But all of a sudden, one person can do one thing or two things to us, and it's their voice, the echo of that offense in our life can become the Lord over us. And that's why this is so serious. That's why this is a serious enemy in our lives, and we've got to treat it as such. We've got to get real serious about protecting and guarding over our hearts because out of it flow the, the issues of life. And so two things I want to share with you, and then I'll come to a close today. And that's this. Number one, we need to deal with our sin. Matthew chapter 5, verse 29, Jesus is obviously talking about the heart, and he talks about how to deal with sin. He says, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it out from you. It is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And he says, if your right hand makes you stumble, or causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it far from you. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. That's a crazy, provocative passage. Think about it for a second. Jesus is saying, if you know of anything that causes you to stumble in your life, cut it off. Deal with it in the most severe way possible. Don't mitigate anything in your life. Don't try to like figure out a middle ground. Don't try to modify things. Just get rid of it. There are things that we are prone to that cause us to sin. And I would tell you that there are things in our lives that when it comes to interacting with people and dealing with conversations, we've got to become aware of. And that's the point that I want to make. We've got to know what causes us to sin. If you have a proneness to hearing certain things, you've got to know the enemy is going to introduce scenarios and situations to your life that are going to get you offended. And so we can't be foolish about this. We can't act like we don't understand. you got to know yourself. We have to know who we are. We have to know the proneness of our flesh. The enemy is not going to try to tempt us with things that don't tempt us. We are going to get tempted with things that actually work. And that is what the enemy knows. Demonic spirits are not stupid in that regard. They are going to try things that work. Being pure in heart is not necessarily whether you have sin, it's whether you're dealing with it or not. Are you dealing with the sin in your life? Because I'll tell you this, when you're passive about sin in your own life, you will find that you're more easily offended. That's the truth. If we're not clean, clean hands and a pure heart, it is so much easier to get offended by other people because we're irritable, we're angry, we're upset, we're angry at ourselves. we project that onto other people. And so we've got to deal with our own sin. Remember, Judas, prior to the, betray to the betrayal of Jesus, he was the money handler. I mean, it was like daily he was tempted to sell out his brethren. He was taking money from the, the money box that they had that was 
to pay for their food and any of their travels. So here's Judas getting opportunities. His greed is continuing to grow in his life. And before you know it, he's just getting more and more offended at Jesus. And he's annoyed by the things that Jesus says. And he he sells him out for 30 pieces of silver. How did he do that? That thing grew in his life. I know sometimes we talk about the sovereignty of God and Judas was the son of perdition and it was appointed unto him to be that person. Sure, that's all fine. We can talk about that. But the reality is there was a practicality to his sin. Judas continued to cultivate sin in his life, this greed. That greed caused him to interpret Jesus as somebody other than who he was. He interpreted his brethren the way a different way than they were. And he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, immediately recognizing he had done the wrong thing. But his sin gave him a filter to see Jesus the wrong way. And I personally just believe that Judas would listen to Jesus teach. And in his mind, he'd be like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Why? Because his greed, the greed in his heart that had been cultivating, not a pure heart, a greedy heart, got him all the way to the place where he would take 30 pieces of silver to sell out the Son of God. And I think the same happens with us, that we're willing to just allow things to happen in our lives because there's sin that's in our life. We have unforgiveness in our life right now, and guess what's going to happen? That bitterness, the Bible says, and I believe Hebrews chapter 12 or Hebrews chapter 13, that bitterness, it grows up and it defiles, right? So we allow bitterness in our lives towards one person. We don't think for a second that bitterness towards one will not equal a defilement and bitterness towards many. It's absolutely how it works. Just think about it for a second, right? Think about integrity. You know, you can actually lie, cheat, or steal, and you do that in one issue, and you justify, maybe you think that's okay, but guess what? I tell my son this all the time. Whenever you do something wrong in one way, it's just one step towards continuing to be a non-integrous person. Because you cannot just sow seeds of a lack of integrity and expect that it stay in this little box. It won't. Because it's our heart when you cultivate, when you make choices and you allow sin to continue to have it run its course, what it will do is conform us to becoming people that sin. And we have a sinful heart instead of keeping short accounts with God. When you sin, you just give it to the Lord. Father, I thank you that you've forgiven me because of the blood of Jesus. I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to bring an animal or a sacrifice of any kind because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. And I thank you, Lord, that you love me and that you forgive me. Would you cleanse me of my sin? And according to your word, you do. First John chapter one, verse nine, it says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We've got to come to God and keep short accounts. When we do that, our hearts stay clean. When our hearts stay clean, we end up having an interaction with other people and we're not as easily offended. Why? Because God is filling our hearts. He's helping us. He's the filter. The Holy Spirit is the filter for how we interpret what is being said to us, what is happening to us. Things are still going to be hard in life, but they don't have to be as hard because we won't be coloring them as in this negative way with this bitter root, with this angry perspective, with this sinful heart. And that's so important for us. We deal with our sin. We're honest. We're accountable. We're humble. We're seeking prayer. We're seeking the Lord. We're close with Him. We're abiding in Him. The second and final thing is we draw near to God and we stay near to God. God's given us a new heart, and He alone is the one that help us, helps us to sustain that heart. 
Our life is about being close to the Lord. It's about abiding in Him. As I've said, we read John chapter 15, and we read all about how Jesus feels about this. And look what James says, James chapter 4 and verse 8, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. How, how do you do that? Draw near to God. You want to cleanse the actions. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's talking to a people that are walking the other way. He's talking to a people that are doing wrong with their hands because they're thinking it in their hearts. They're meditating on it in their hearts. And he tells them, draw near to God. He's talking to people that are not near to God. They know God through Jesus, but they're not near. And he's calling them back to a sense of renewal. Your actions, he's saying, is a result of your hearts. So cleanse your hands by purifying your hearts. Do not be double-minded about this. Be miserable, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. He's telling people that have fallen from this place of grace. He's saying, be restored back to what Jesus paid for. Humble yourselves. He's not saying, try harder, do more, you know, read another book. He's saying, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. God will exalt you, but he does, he does not need our he does not need us to just try harder. Our, our feeble efforts, our, our, our weak efforts, let's just be honest, like our best days are not great. He's saying it's not just about how you behave, it's about what you believe, it's about what's inside you. And so give that over to God. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Father, I thank you that, that you see me in your love and that you, you'll cleanse my unrighteousness. Father, I just pray you take all this and God gives us a divine exchange. We must not hide and try to protect some image that'll just lead us down the road of hypocrisy and i believe that staying near to god is what it's all about right it's about drawing near and it's about staying near we, pastor ben why are you talking about uh, cultivating a, a pure heart We're, we want to talk about dealing with offenses well before i do that before i give you keys and wisdom and things that I think will actually help. What I've learned, may, I'm not the perfect example of this. I'm just saying there are things that I've learned and had revelation about. And this, as the Lord's led me down this path of being cleansed of old things and defilement, stuff that's tried to grow up in me and become a voice of sorts, a voice to my heart, a voice to help me see things the wrong way as the Lord's been able to discard a lot of that stuff and the mindsets that go along with it. I've learned that it always starts with purity of heart and you need to take inventory. We need to take inventory. Let me just tell you, I've been thinking a lot about revival lately and I know that the only way we're going to have revival is for the people of God to humble themselves. And, and, and part of what is our enemy is that we already think we are. We already think that we are positioned properly, and that is our enemy. When we think that we're positioned the way that we need to be, friend, let me just tell you, we're going to miss it. We are going to miss it. I'm not telling you to grovel. I'm not telling you to, that you you have to somehow prove to God that you're pious and that you're that you're sorry. That's that's not what I mean. I just mean there has to be this place of humility for the people of God. I believe God wants to pour out His Spirit. Uh, on this land, I believe he is pouring out his spirit in so many ways, but we're going to see so much revival happen, so much of the power of God as we come to the Lord and we humble ourselves. I'll tell you what, offense in the day we're living is such an enemy. And most people, it feels like in these moments, compulsively speaking, they just don't see it. 
I'm watching how people are responding such little things. I was on a walk with my wife last night and I just I was just kind of venting to her and I just said I just believe that if if little things are able to take our unity and color our perspective towards others and instead of humbling our hearts we're not going to see that revival we long for. That revival is not going to happen in our arrogance. It's going to happen in our humility. Jesus Christ is the Lord. He's not just he's not just looking for a few perfect people. He's looking for his people to humble themselves. When we humble ourselves and pray, we embrace repentance. And you don't even have to understand what specific thing we need to repent for. It's just embracing a way of repentance. We come to our knees and we realize that Jesus is righteous. Jesus is pure. It's the supremacy of Christ that we look at Jesus and we say it's all about him. He's the perfect one. We stop looking at ourselves. We stop using ourselves as the poster for what we think and how we do things. And we point at our own life and actions. And this is the way that you need to think. We just point to Jesus, the perfect, the righteous one. And as we point to Jesus, we're going to see a Jesus people movement. We're going to see it happen inside of us. Corporate revival happens first through personal revival. God is waking us up and he's showing us the way of the purity of heart. So that the stuff that's trying to distract us from our purpose, distract us from our mission, that stuff will not have a place in us. The way we deal with offense first, it starts with the heart. And so I want to lead you in a prayer. If you're in a place where you just say, Ben, my heart is hard, I want to lead you into, I want to lead you out of a hardness of heart. How do we do that? Well, the Bible just told us we humble ourselves before God. And maybe you're not in a place where your heart is hard, but you just need to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You know what? I do. I need to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit in my life. So let me lead you in a prayer and genuinely pray with me. Now, even if you don't say anything out of your mouth, just say, yes, Lord. I want to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit because when we are, we're more useful to the Lord, period. That's what this is all about. It's that we could be more useful to the Lord. Dealing with offenses is moving out the clutter so that we could be used by the Lord in this day and in this age to see a revival come, which we believe is on the horizon, and we get to be a part of it. Father, we do thank you today that your word speaks so clearly. And we don't have anything to prove, Lord. We have everything to gain. And so right now we come to you and we humble ourselves to you. And we ask, Lord, that you would purify our hearts. God, I pray that you would forgive us for any sin that we have that's undisclosed or maybe hidden, maybe sin that's just plaguing us, that the cycles continue to take up residence in our life, and we've just not been able to overcome. Lord, we just admit right now that it's not striving in the flesh that causes us to have freedom from the flesh. It's pressing into you and pressing into your presence and renewing our minds to the word of God that shows us and says to us, we're already free. In fact, I just prophesy that over every person that's watching, that's listening today. You're already free, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. Lord, we pray that the freedom that we've received in you, that we could appropriate that today. I pray if there's anything in the way that you would cleanse it, Lord. Purify us. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord. Sensitize our hearts to the Holy Spirit who is constantly leading us to a better response for out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks out of the abundance of our heart. We see our actions. They flow from that. The 
waters of life. They flow from our heart. And so we just pray today as your people that you would bring us to a place where we could be sensitive and humble to you. And whatever you want to do in our lives, we would not be bound or hindered by the offenses that come to us by what happens on the outside of us. I pray that what's in us would be stronger because we truly believe that what you've put in us through the Holy Spirit, the new nature, the new heart is stronger than anything else that will ever happen to us, as bad as it might be. And Lord, we don't put down anything that anybody's been through or minimize that, but I pray that you would show us, Lord, your heart for each one of us and what we're walking through so that we could be the hands, the feet, the heart, the mouth of Jesus in our life. We thank you for your great example for us. Help lead us through all of this, these issues of offense and how we are to walk in pleasing you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.